Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. BC brings in new vaccine requirements. It is important for us to have people who are vaccinated working in these high-risk settings. How it's all but certain some schools will be next. Disturbing allegations against a well-known driving instructor. There were comments made and there were sexual comments made. How dual investigations have put the brakes on Steve Wallace's business. And striking the right chord. Been to the Grammy Awards, to CMA Awards, some of the biggest stages in the world. The BC guitar maker who's a hit with some of music's biggest names. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. BC is bringing in the province's biggest workplace vaccine mandate to date, covering 30,000 public service employees. And they've been given until November 22nd to show proof of full vaccination. But as Richard Zussman reports, it's the group not included in today's announcement that's drawing some criticism. The provincial government is BC's largest employer, and now those workers are required to be fully immunized against COVID-19 to go to work. As we need to be showing the way um, and setting an example in our province here in the BC Public Service. This is who the mandate applies to. Government ministry staff, Crown prosecutors, corrections officers, BC liquor store staff, child protection workers, and others in the public service. It is critical, it is essential to get vaccinated now. And I encourage everyone in British Columbia again to do so. But it doesn't apply to everyone. The big one, anyone in the school system, from teachers to cleaning staff. But the idea is growing momentum, now supported by both the teachers union and CUPE, who represent many in school staff. Given that we've seen a rise in cases and exposures in K-12, we are supportive um, of this and this makes sense. The case increases have mainly been in the unvaccinated, those under 12. This shows the increase in cases from zero to nine over the past month, peaking at 20% of all new cases. On Tuesday, the province announcing it will now work with school districts to prepare for a possible vaccine mandate. We know um, there is a desire expressed by people in school communities for uh, mandates in education and as such the education ministry my colleague minister of education jennifer uh, whiteside is immediately convening uh, an advisory committee each district will have the power to determine what vaccine requirements could look like for their employees with province-wide guidance this putting on a lot of pressure depending on the covid situation in the area if you're a, a school district operating in a community that has a very low vaccination rate what will happen to your staffing levels in your school? Um, how will you be able to accommodate people who require accommodations? There's a lot of questions that we need to ask. The public sector mandate also doesn't include post-secondary institutions or crown corporations. But to use BC Hydro as an example, the province would like to see them require vaccine among all their employees following COVID outbreaks linked to the Sightsee Dam. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. 
Well, starting next week, anyone planning to visit their loved ones at a long-term care home or assisted living facility must show they are fully vaccinated against COVID. But as Kamal Karamali reports, some care home operators believe the rule should have been implemented much sooner. The reaction by long-term care homes to Tuesday's provincial announcement, it's about time. So yeah, and it really reduced the anxiety level. Hendrik Van Rijk owns five long-term care homes across BC, and allowing in unvaccinated people was causing a lot of anxiety. We're asking, why are you letting these people in? Why are you letting them in? They're not vaccinated. In fact, some of his care homes experienced COVID-19 outbreaks, something he believes could have been avoided if the measures had been brought in sooner. Probably would have prevented a lot of the outbreaks that are currently occurring in, in, um, in long-term care and assisted living. The province now announcing LTC homes will only allow fully vaccinated visitors through its doors starting October 12th. And visitors to acute care settings like hospitals will have to show proof of immunization starting October 26th. Overall, this is really great news. The BC Care Providers Association says the move will protect residents and staff. We're going to go out there and try and work with members and operators to, to make sure that they fully understand what the rules are. But other LTC homes are less worried about losing visitors and more concerned about keeping staff. We've been under a very, very tight shortage of health care workers. The province reminding care homes that all staff need to be fully vaccinated starting next week. And that has many workers heading out the door. Losing anyone, even one person, even one carry, makes it harder on a, on a care home. So, so it's not going to be easy. And while the new mandate has pushed some staff to finally get inoculated, others are not willing to budge. Menno Place in Surrey will be losing 18 staff members. I suspect that the ones who have already said a hard no, that nothing's going to change that at this point. Whether it's visitors or workers, some questions still remain on how LTC Homes will enforce the new vaccine mandate. I think we'll get some pushback at some of our homes because we know some fairly active families. Especially after many other establishments have had to hire extra security to keep out unvaccinated individuals. Kamal Karamali, Global News. Well, here's a look at our latest COVID numbers. We have 593 new cases today. Our active case number is pretty stable, still hovering around 6,000. 345 people are in hospital. That's up 19. 144 of those patients are in ICU, and thankfully there are no deaths to report today. Let's bring in Keith Baldry now. Keith, we've been hearing a lot about the North's low vaccination rates. Mm -hmm. You have a closer look at some of those communities. Yeah, I just looked at the uh, vaccination table for the province. Again, it shows Metro Vancouver, very high vaccination rates. Vancouver Coastal, for example, averaging less than 100 cases a day with 90% plus uh, vaccination rate with one dose. The north, though, about 125 a day and very low vaccination rates. Take a look at this. This explains why we're seeing ICU numbers and elevated hospitalizations. Peace River Rural, almost 14,000 people there, just a 51% vaccination rate. Dawson Creek, a real struggle to get that 65% rate up, more than 40 700 people there. Vanderhoof continues to be a problem. Fort St. John is actually improving things. Still 6,400 people to be vaccinated there. And Prince George Rural, that's not urban, that's rural. 74 percent, 3,200 people there. Adrian Dix talked about the Northern Health Authority today numerous times, but he says it's important to point out the health authorities up there are doing their best to get people vaccinated and they're not going to start calling these cities out. I think our leaders in the North 
in their vast majority, and by vast majority, I mean 95, 96, 97% have been incredibly supportive and they're necessary and they're making those efforts. And we need everyone to get involved. This isn't calling anybody out, but this is saying that right now in this pandemic, we need everyone to get vaccinated. And that's especially the case because of case counts in the North. And a reminder again what's happening in the North. 32 people have been medevaced out of the North down to the Southern Health Authorities. 22 of them in uh, Vancouver Island Health. That's a long way to be away from your family. If you've got COVID-19 because you weren't vaccinated in Vanderhoof, Prince George or Dawson Creek, these people had to be flowing down far away from those Northern Health Authorities in a place like Victoria. Very hard on families. Makes it tough to be isolated, no doubt. Okay, Keith, thanks very much. Well, Dr. Bonnie Henry has offered some qualified reassurance to people who receive mixed vaccines and are worried about being able to travel. Her message, we're working on it. Aaron MacArthur reports. While 100,000 more British Columbians will be getting access to a third dose this fall, one group that won't be getting access to that third shot are the people who mixed and matched. For the more than 200,000 people who opted for AstraZeneca and an mRNA vaccine, the B.C. government is hoping to change U.S. policy. We are now actively working with Health Canada and will continue to work with the Public Health Agency of Canada to make sure that Canada has a single internationally recognized vaccine passport that includes the recognition of these combinations. Right now, the U.S. doesn't recognize people with mixed doses as being fully vaccinated. The CDC indicating it was never fully studied. Despite promising data from the EU last summer, there is now North American data to support this strategy. And BC, along with the Public Health Agency of Canada, is sharing that data. And we are working very closely with counterparts in the U.S. Centers for Disease Control to make sure that these highly effective combinations are recognized. So please be patient. According to the BC CDC, The mixed schedule provides strong protection against infection and hospitalization, even when the Delta variant is introduced. The travel industry? Cautiously optimistic this will mean less confusion for Canadians trying to book trips abroad. The government should be, you know, exerting whatever pressure it can diplomatically to to get this over the line, um, you know, to make good on the stance that was taken to Canadians to say, get the first available vaccine. The Public Health Agency of Canada says talks with the U.S. are progressing well. The travel industry hoping for more certainty by the time the U.S. reopens its land border with Canada. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Vaccine maker Moderna has submitted its application to Health Canada for a booster dose of its COVID-19 vaccine. It believes all eligible Canadians should take it six months after their second shot. The booster would be a half dose of its original formulation, which Moderna says is still effective against the major variants in circulation. Data from Moderna's clinical trials suggests vaccine effectiveness might decrease at the one-year mark. We think that we're seeing still good protection against severe disease, hospitalization, and death. But we are starting to see decreasing of neutralizing titers leading to breakthrough infections even with fully vaccinated people, even with Moderna's vaccine. New data out of both Quebec and BC shows in Canada the vaccines are still offering very strong protection. A decision on boosters is in Health Canada's hands now. There's no word on when that decision might come. 
A well-known B.C. driving instructor loses his teaching privileges. The woman accusing him of bad behavior behind the wheel and why she says she's not the only victim. Next on the NewsHour. A B.C. startup is opening a state-of-the-art facility to design and build its hypersport electric superbike. What makes it so special later on the news hour? And a bike thief who obviously doesn't learn from his mistakes. How he got bitten by the bait bike program twice coming up. Right now, though, some breaking news to tell you about. The Independent Investigations Office has been called out following a police-involved shooting in Richmond this afternoon. RCMP say it happened just after 1 p.m. in the 7300 block of Turnall Street, where officers had responded to calls about a man with a weapon. Police say they began to engage with the man, and then shots were fired by officers. The man was rushed to hospital in serious condition. That area is now behind police tape and the IIO has taken over the investigation. Witnesses are asked to contact IIO investigators. Police are recommending criminal charges against a well-known Victoria-area driving instructor. Steve Wallace is expected to face three charges of sexual assault and has had his teaching license revoked. Kylie Stanton shows us why. It was just um, unprofessional, start to finish. Getting behind the wheel, learning the rules of the road, can be an intimidating experience. They have to signal mirror and shoulder. But Iko Oi says that was the case for very different reasons. And there was sexual comments made. I experienced like some inappropriate touching where he was like holding my hand on the wheel and touching my shoulder. He told me that he loved me a bunch of times. They have to do lane changes as well. In her first lesson with Steve Wallace, owner and operator of Steve Wallace Driving School, Oi says she immediately knew something wasn't right and also figured she wasn't alone. I'm looking through the Instagram page. She decided to launch Wallace Driving School Victims, a safe place for those with similar allegations to share their stories. With roughly 15 personal statements posted and more direct messages, she says the response was simply overwhelming. I just realized it was a lot more widespread than I thought it was. Now documents Oi says were sent to her by a Victoria police constable show that police are recommending three counts of sexual assault to Crown Council, one from 2011 and two from 2021, including Oys. He was a teacher. Um, he was supposed to be my teacher, um, and he wasn't. Global News has not verified the allegations. We reached out to Wallace for comment, but have yet to receive a response. On Monday, ICBC announced it launched an investigation into the allegations. In a statement, it said, as a result of the findings, we have made the decision to permanently cancel Mr. Wallace's driving instructor license, subject to a window of 30 business days for Mr. Wallace to appeal. And then they'd make their turn. It also confirmed Wallace has agreed to several terms, including not attending any premises where driving students may be present. Because he does know where we live, um, you know, that's where he picked us up from. Victoria Police could not confirm any of the information, but did go on to say it believes all victims of sexualized violence. According to the document, there is a tentative court date set for Wallace on November 25th. But of course, that all hinges on Crown Counsel approving the charges. And it's up to Crown to review the evidence that police has obtained in order to recommend those charges and decide whether or not there's a substantial likelihood of conviction. Boy says she is grateful police are taking the matter seriously. She expects it will only help others feel more comfortable coming forward in the future. Every single individual person that has experienced this should 
have the same respect that this case has had. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Victoria. Surrey RCMP are asking for the public's help in finding the suspect in a sexual assault. It happened on September 27th in Bear Creek Park just before 5 p.m. A woman was grabbed from behind by an unknown man. She was able to get away from him and the suspect ran away. Officers are conducting a full video canvas of the area. Surrey is well equipped with a lot of traffic cameras and things like that, as well as a lot of residents have cameras on their residences within the area. Uh, so officers are working on reviewing video, as well as our forensic, forensic sketch artist is working with our victim in order to try to uh, do a composite sketch that we can release at a later time. The suspect is described as a 20 to 30 year old man with a darker complexion and black curly hair past his ears. He's approximately 5 feet 10 with a medium build and was wearing a gray hoodie with baggy pants at the time. Anyone with any information should call Surrey RCMP or Crime Stoppers. The family of a 21-year-old Kelowna man is speaking out tonight, desperate for answers to find their loved one. They say he was admitted to hospital for mental health issues, but was able to walk away without being discharged. No one has seen him since. Global's Darian Metasafung has the story. The healthcare system should not allow these types of things to happen, because now here we are, in a desperate situation, looking for him. The mother of a missing 21-year-old Kelowna man, Riley Joseph, is speaking out about how her son was able to walk out of Kelowna General Hospital after being admitted for self-harm reasons. Joseph has been missing ever since. The best way to describe how I feel right now is probably a bit desperate because Riley's been missing now since Friday afternoon and it's obviously been quite some time. Um, very disappointed that something like this could actually happen because he has mental health issues and there should have been no reason why we should be in this position right now because he should have been in a lockdown situation. Hicks says she talked to health officials on Friday when her son was admitted but doesn't understand how he was able to leave. What I understood from the nurse when I talked to her Friday morning was that they'd be taking him up to the to the ward to the psych unit shortly, within minutes, but that didn't happen. And I got a call at four o'clock in the afternoon saying that he had taken off. An anonymous tip given to the family led police to the Mission Creek Regional Park. The tip said he may have been spotted in the area. Kelowna RCMP was not available for an interview, but did say they're following up on numerous leads from the community. They were seen canvassing the park today with resources, including bicycles and reportedly a helicopter. There should be somebody there all the time, 24-7, watching people. Because this is what people do when they have mental health issues and don't, you know, understand the situation and the seriousness of things. They will try to go, and that's... It. I'm just at a loss. Interior Health was not available for an interview, but did supply a statement. We immediately contact the RCMP. While we cannot speak to an individual situation, our thoughts are with the family during this difficult and stressful time. Darian Matasafung, Global News, Kelowna. Just ahead, co-op residents worried they'll lose their homes. The residents in the community are terrified. Why the sale of their building makes them nervous. And a mother-son bond that's just getting better. How they've exchanged the gift of life. 
there's a stalled bus in the Stanley Park Causeway. Traffic is down to a single lane in both directions and super backed up. Through a new charitable partnership between Kermac Cares for Kids and Surrey Memorial Hospital, when you choose Kermac Collision and Auto Glass, you also support the Surrey Memorial Children's Health Center. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, high above a stalled bus in the Stanley Park Causeway. Attention consumers, having issues with scammers, price gougers, corner cutters, con artists, or big business bullies, help is here. And Rua investigates consumer matters on Global News. Residents of a Burnaby co-op, most of them seniors, are worried they might soon lose their homes. The union pension plan that owns their building has put it up for sale, despite an offer from the province. And as Krista Dow reports, residents are worried they'll be priced out of their homes by the new owners. It's a building that's been home to hundreds of people for decades. In fact, these three seniors alone represent a combined total of 66 years of tenancy. There's a certain level of comfort you you get after being in a place for a while. More than one third of those who live here are over 75. Their comfort and livelihood now potentially at risk. We're all scared. We're all worried about what's going to be happening to us. The 244-unit nonprofit housing is owned by the International Union of Operating Engineers Local 115 Pension Plan. And despite the provincial government offering to buy it for the appraised value, the pension plan intends to put it up for sale privately instead. I'm very disappointed that we weren't able to reach a, a, a deal with the union. I think our offer was a fair one, and, uh, and I think the tenants and the union and the pension holders for the union would all benefit from a deal like that. Seniors here fear they'll be priced out. Nobody in here's really had big union jobs or big management jobs where they've got a huge pension and could comfortably live. What I understand is that some of them uh, wouldn't make it. They'd be uh, on the street. When it comes to residents' concerns, the union pension plan says they, quote, will not entertain offers from prospective purchasers without assurance there will be no evictions or renovictions, a promise the Cooperative Housing Federation of B.C. isn't buying. Empty promises. Uh, those kinds of covenants can't be binding on a purchaser. Nobody would agree to buy the property if they knew they had to keep rents where they are. The lease expires October 31st, a day many here aren't looking forward to. We couldn't afford to just go out there and start looking. Just don't know what, what to do. Krista Dow, Global News. Well, if you think the cost of groceries is increasing at a much faster pace than Canada's food inflation rate, you're not alone. Some experts believe the consumer price index doesn't reflect what customers are actually experiencing at the checkout. And our Consumer Matters reporter Ann Drua is here with more. Ann. Thanks, Chris. The Consumer Price Index represents the changes in prices that Canadians experience and is often used to gauge the cost of living based on data from a company which monitors Canadian food prices. Researchers at Dalhousie University suspect Stats Canada may be underestimating our food inflation rate. Bettercart, which checks flyers and websites daily to compare the price of food and find the cheapest groceries for Canadians, has started measuring 
measuring its data with the Consumer Price Index. The current food inflation rate is 2.7%. But in many cases, Stats Canada's food price increases are much lower than what Better Cart is tracking. Well, the Consumer Price Index shows the price of ketchup, for example, has dropped by 5.9%. Better Cart suggests it's up 7.3% since January. Potatoes are 11.5% more expensive versus the CPI's 3.7%. The price of bananas, 4.9% higher instead of just 0.1%. Bread is 4.9% pricier instead of 0.4%. And Better Cart believes butter is up 35.5% compared to Stats Canada's 2.8%. If our data is correct, uh, it means that perhaps the food inflation rate may be actually 1% to 1.5% higher than what is being reported by the federal agency. And that's quite significant. Canadians are penalized by the fact that things are costing more, but they're not necessarily earning more. In order to earn more, you need an indicator to entice employers to increase salaries. And that indicator is often the CPI. The Consumer Price Index is also one of several authoritative data sources used to influence social policies in our country. Since the Dalhousie research was released, Stats Canada has invited the university to chat with some of its data collectors for the first time in recent years. Also, Stats Canada says the numbers cited in BetterCart's data are from its published published average prices. The food prices used to calculate the consumer price index are mostly captured from weekly scanner data obtained directly from grocers and reflect actual prices paid by Canadians at the till. And if you have a consumer issue for me, you can email me at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. All right, and thanks very much. Just ahead, BC researchers discover a new use for cancer drugs, how it could lead to a breakthrough in Alzheimer's treatment. And a local company revved up for a revolution in motorbikes. How soon the Made in BC electric hypersport will be on the road. Traffic is steady in both directions over here tonight at the Alex Fraser Bridge with just a little bit of leftover volume through Richmond on the east-west connector. Need winter tires? No time for appointments? Drop by Mr. Lube and enjoy stay-in-your-car tire service on your schedule. No appointment needed. Mr. Lube, ready when you are. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Alex Fraser Bridge. Transit police are releasing video of an alleged bike thief who apparently doesn't learn from past mistakes. Surveillance cameras at the King George Skytrain station were rolling on Sunday afternoon when the man walked up to the bike rack and allegedly tried to steal a bait bike. He was busted, and it wasn't the first time. Police say this alleged thief was arrested trying to steal the same bike five years ago at the Gateway Skytrain station. Well, here's a bike everyone's going to want to ride. A Vancouver-based motor company is opening a huge new facility in Surrey for the development and manufacture of its high-performance electric motorcycles. Damon Motors' Hypersport bike is capable of 200 miles an hour and has more than 300 kilometers of range. Damon announcing the 11, or sorry, 110,000 square foot Cleantech plant it's building in Surrey today. The state-of-the-art factory will, will be home to R&D and manufacturing. And the company says by 2025, the new plant will create around 800 new jobs in Surrey, providing an economic boost. Research uh, on the next generation of electric motorcycles will be done here in Surrey. And it advances British Columbia's electric vehicle goals. 
this is the best place for Damon to build out its production line of motorcycles. And it has a lot to do with the, the support, the, the, you know, the municipal, provincial support of the governments here, but also the people here and the depth of clean tech manufacturing talent that's been growing in, in Vancouver, Surrey for 40 years. In Health Matters tonight, a Vancouver woman is sharing her story about how she received a new kidney from her son. But as Catherine Urquhart reports, this comes four decades after her first transplant from another family donor. Just before or after the transplant, you know? Tim and his mother, Angela, have always been close. These days, they're even closer. I gave him life to start with, you know, and uh, now he's given life back to me. Last year, the 72-year-old's kidney was failing and she desperately needed a transplant. Tim was a match and didn't hesitate. It was not at all a hard decision. I mean, who wouldn't, you know, want to save the life of their own mother? It was actually Angela's second transplant. Kidney disease forced her to have a transplant nearly 40 years ago. The donor, her father. It's kind of uh, funny that I should get a kidney from a dad and then from a son. And, uh, you know, so it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, a, good, it's a good thing. Yeah, quick and painless, I would say. Because it's Living Kidney Donation Week, the mother and son are speaking out, hoping others will consider organ donation. Just remember, uh, you can live very easily with one kidney. Pretty much anybody can. Um, I 100% have my normal life back that I had pre-transplant. And uh, I would say do it because the reward for saving somebody's life, you know, that's greater than anything else you can imagine. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Also tonight, UBC scientists have made a potential breakthrough in the treatment of Alzheimer's, but they say more research is needed. The UBC study found that a drug commonly used to treat cancer can restore memory and cognitive function in mice that display symptoms of Alzheimer's. The drug, axitinib, inhibits the growth of new blood vessels in the brain, something shared by both cancer tumors and Alzheimer's. UBC says clinical trials will be needed to assess the effectiveness of the treatment, along with the long-term use of anti-cancer drugs in people living with Alzheimer's. But the researchers say they're optimistic. Still ahead, the sweet sounds of success. An award-winning Kamloops guitar maker gets the attention of some of the world's best musicians and royalty, too. And the BC invention helping winemakers lock in even more flavor. Here is your Wines of British Columbia question of the day. What is the fall harvest term for when grapes are picked and squashed for processing? A. Mash B. Crush C. Big squeeze. Stay tuned after the break for the answer. The answer to the wines of British Columbia question of the day is B. Crush. Modern wineries use large automated crusher destemmers, which break the skins open, exposing the juice and pulp. We got it right. What do we win? I don't know. <laughs> Some wine, hopefully. Well, let's keep that theme going, though, because an Okanagan invention has been nominated for a big award in the wine industry, helping it grow an international reputation. The Aroma Lock helps preserve the busty bouquet of wine that's normally lost in the fermentation process. Global Sydney Morton met with the inventor and his team to learn more. 
The inside is composed of only a few parts. This small machine makes a big difference to wine. The Aroma Lock was invented in 2012, and for nine years, Dick Jones has been perfecting his invention with his team to lock in and boost the bouquet of wine. As the yeast ferments the uh, sugar in the wine, it also produces aroma compounds which dictate the quality of the wine. Unfortunately, the aroma compounds are very volatile, meaning they want to leave the liquid. And when they leave the liquid and go up above the liquid, the CO2 that's being produced at the same time simply blows them out into the winery. And so you've lost a good chunk of the aromas that the yeast are producing. Aroma lock is secured onto the tops of stainless steel winery tanks during the fermentation process and is a non-invasive way of improving the wine tasting experience. So then you drink it. And then as you swallow the wine, of course, it warms up in your throat as it swallows. And then you get vapors coming back up into the nose. It's called retrograde smell. Penticton's Pentage Winery has incorporated Aroma Lock in the making of the winery's whites and rosés. We basically will put Aroma Lock on everything we can. Obviously, if we're doing reds and bins, when the, you can't basically control the headspace. But we've had these Aroma Lock machines on these floating lid tanks. We have them on the Latina tanks. It depends on the volume of wine we're doing. The Okanagan invention has even gone international. It's been studied in universities in Europe and North America and is being used by a handful of wineries around the world. At this point, we use it on the, on the white fermentation, rosé, which is uh, mostly in stainless steel. We have done a trial down in California, so barrel fermentations too. Now they've been nominated for the 2021 Winnovation Award in California. The award recognizes those making innovative advancements in the North American wine industry. Sydney Morton, Global News, Penticton. Good luck to them. Mm -hmm. Not sure how Rosé could get any better, but there you go. <laughs> they found a way. They found a way. Uh, oh, I wish it were Rosé patio weather. It all kind of was today-ish, wasn't it, Christy? Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say it was a bit too gray for Rosé patio wine-ish, but you know what? You could still get out there. I would still drink it on the patio in this type of weather any day, in fact. All right, so, you know, we do have snowfall in the forecast still for parts of the province. Warnings, in fact, and we it is fall after all, so more rain in the forecast for our region. But I'll show you the bright spot first. I wanted to show you a photo that came to me from the Karameas area. Thank you so much to Tim for this one. It's a good reminder, actually. Now's the time to get out there with your friends and family and go and visit a local farm. They've got lots of pumpkins right now. They need your support, and they often have lots of different activities for the kids. And, of course, outdoor gatherings are a great way to meet with family and friends. So go and check this out. This one's from Karameas, but there's lots and lots of local farms all across the region. So uh, check one out near you. Uh, this is a snowfall warning that I needed to tell you about. Still another 10 centimeters of snow overnight through the morning hours tomorrow for Pine Pass, PC Peace River, Hudson Hope, Chetwin and Tumbler Ridge, though more expected there, up to 20 potentially for that region. Now, when we look at the system, you can see that snowfall driving into the southern BC Peace River area. For our region, we have a lot of instability. So overnight tonight through the morning hours tomorrow, a risk of thunderstorms. That means downpours of heavy rain, isolated ones, and a risk of even a bit of hail. As we head towards our Thursday, though, that's when we'll start to see a clearing. Northwestern BC, sunshine, snowfall into tomorrow morning for BC Peace River. For southern regions, the rainfall you see here is really mainly in the morning. And that's the case across 
much of the south coast. Now, we still do have a slight chance of an isolated shower or even thunderstorm tomorrow afternoon, but it becomes much lighter. The bright spot this week that I was advertising, that is Thursday. Friday, it looks like we may have a chance of showers at this point, but Thursday's not looking too bad at all. Tonight's central windows weather window is coming out of Tofino, thank you to Jay William for that one. A beautiful rainbow, as you can see there from today. And in fact, there were many rainbows uh, seen all across the lower mainland. So thank you to everyone who shares the photos. All right, guys, back to you. Always gorgeous over there. Sure is. All right, thanks, Christy. Here's Squire now with a look ahead to sports. What do you got, Squire? Well, today was the first day Travis Green got to coach Elias Patterson and Quinn Hughes at training camp this year. Uh, we'll, we'll kind of check in with them day to day. Today was the first day really with the, with the team, but it wasn't much of a, a team skate. Both looked in shape, but both won't play tonight against the Seattle Kraken. The Kraken won't have a crack at them then. <laughs> <laughs> All right, also later, the BC-made guitars stealing the spotlight in the music industry. Watching Global News Hour at 6. The Kraken joke, we're still talking about the Kraken. Were, were you cracking up? We were cracking up, really. That's okay. very good. It pretty much writes itself. Like before <laughs> the game, the announcer in the stadium can go, let's get Kraken. Or someone could say, release the Kraken. Yeah, you can't really do the same with the Canucks. No, the words. no, I know. Not quite. The oh, speaking thing. Of, oh, let's get cracking. Our producer, really director, our producer just said that. Let's get cracking. Okay, I will. Uh, the first time the Canucks faced a Seattle Kraken, the game was actually in Spokane, and most of the Canucks that night will be with Abbotsford this year and not Vancouver. Tonight's game between these two instant rivals is at Rogers Arena. It'll look more NHL from the Canucks side of things, although no Pedersen or Quinn Hughes yet. They'll likely play on Thursday. The hope is to get them into the final two exhibition games. Now, with more on tonight's game and some roster intrigue, let's bring in Jay Janauer, who is down at the arena. The preseason starting to wind down for the Vancouver Canucks. Just three exhibition games to go. Tonight at Rogers Arena, they'll take on the Seattle Kraken. And at today's game day skate, for the first time, we saw Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes skate with their teammates since signing their contract extensions on Sunday. Yeah, I mean, that was my first day skating with them and seeing them. So, um, you know, those two guys are young enough. They're good enough skaters. They could probably hop right into it. So I'm sure they want to, you know, get in a game and get things going and, and uh, stop practicing. Uh, we'll we'll kind of check in with them day to day. Today was the first day really with a, with a team, but it wasn't much of a, a team skate. Um, it's a good chance you'll see them in the last two games. With three exhibition games to go for the Vancouver Canucks, still quite a few players on the bubble for the Vancouver Canucks. That includes Jack Rathbone, who has looked very good this preseason for the Vancouver Canucks. He'll skate in his fifth exhibition game tonight. He'll skate alongside Luke Shen. Vasily Podkolzin is also in the lineup. He too has impressed Travis Green, but neither is a lock yet to make this hockey team. It's funny, when you're a young player, you, you sometimes can overthink things a little bit. And I... Uh, had a feeling he probably was because his line was minus two last game and guys take a lot of stock in that and 
I like that he does. Does he have stuff to work on? Yeah, he does. But I like him. I like him a lot. Uh, now, when you say you like a player, that doesn't mean that he's going to get given everything all at once. But uh, he really wants... He, he's a hard worker. He pays attention to detail. He wants to learn. Um, he's strong on the puck. Uh, we're going to try to push his pace a little bit, keep him moving, get his feet moving. And these are all things that, in young players, you're, uh, there's a lot to learn. Justin Bailey was also on the ice for the Vancouver Canucks. First time he skated with his teammates as he missed all of training camp because of COVID issues. Tonight's goalies, Mike DiPietro, Thatcher Demko, and then the season begins for real a week tomorrow when the Vancouver Canucks are in Edmonton. It's the Seattle Kraken, Vancouver Canucks at Rogers Arena, 7 o'clock tonight. There is a story in Sports Illustrated that the NHL is looking into allegations that San Jose Sharks forward Evander Kane was using a fake vaccination card, which is illegal in the U.S. The NHL has not confirmed this report, but a week ago a story came out that Kane was under NHL investigation for allegedly violating COVID protocols, but nothing more specific than that. Kane has uh, not been at the Sharks training camp this year, and he was recently cleared of an allegation that he bet on San Jose Shark games. Wild card night in the American League, Fenway Park, the old rivals, the Yankees, the Red Sox. Unfortunately, the Blue Jays were one win short of the AL wild card game. This is Xander Bogarts. 2-0 for Boston. Kyle Schwarber follow the ball. Schwarber puts this one out of the park as well. And look at the celebration. I love the Red Sox home run celebration. You get a ride through the dugout. There you go. 3 nothing in the fifth. BC Soccer is in the final stages of putting in a league where players who are between the highest levels of youth soccer and professional soccer can continue to play at a high level and not fall through the cracks of not having that extra rung on the soccer ladder. They are calling it League One. It'll not be just for players to get their skills to another level, but also for coaches, administrators, medical and training staff, anybody who wants to continue high-level soccer with the possible outcome of becoming a professional one day. The gap between uh, our youth environments and the adult competition uh, exists. Uh, we see a lot of potential, a lot of talent within the province that it goes unnoticed or it goes uh, without the ability to, to have a platform to, uh, to go into. Uh, this will be a springboard into new opportunities and development. This environment that we're creating here is a link to the professional environment. Uh, so it'll be semi-professional, the infrastructure behind the team uh, and the, uh, the league play. Um, is just uh, a higher level of, of what we're trying to provide for these players. Um, and it's very important that this is for male and female players as well. So we're really trying to fill a gap uh, that all players have an opportunity to, to progress into higher levels. And there you go. All right, thanks, Squire. Up next, guitar maker to the stars, the BC Luthier, loved by musicians. This is BC with Jay Durant, brought to you in part by Fortis BC, BC's energy solutions provider. Well, you might be surprised to learn that the maker of guitars, that's a luthier, by the way, mm -hmm. the maker of guitars coveted by artists like Paul McCartney and Blue Rodeo's Jim Cuddy actually lives in Kamloops. That's right. The craftsman behind Riversong Guitars is hitting all the right notes and can't keep up with the demand for his guitars. However... He did spare some time for our Jay Durant. 
in This Is BC. It took a lot of tinkering. Some of the early prototypes sounded more like banjos. But Mike Miltimore finally came up with the idea for his masterpiece. I call it the Forrest Gump moment, like when he was running and his shackles came off his legs. That was the moment when I, um, I cut some parts off of a guitar and the thing sprang to life. There are a lot of design elements that make River Song guitars so unique. See how that fits. But it's the patented neck running through the body that puts it in another class with better sound quality. It's led to several international awards, sales all over the world, and an incredible reputation within the music industry. I've been on the Grand Ole Opry stage with my guitars, been to the Grammy Awards, to the CMA Awards, to some of the biggest stages in the world. Sounds good, doesn't it? His customers include band members for Trace Adkins and Eric Church. Jim Cuddy has played his guitar, as well as Tenacious D. Miltimore even received an invitation from the provincial government to present the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge with a custom model when they toured BC in 2016. It said, Mike Miltimore and guest. And it was like Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory when he had and guest. Everybody wanted to be my guest. Being a guitar builder, you have to be a bit of a hoarder. There are stockpiles of BC wood in a shop underneath Lee's music store in Kamloops, which Mike's family opened in the 1970s. Perpendicular to the face of what the top's going to be. His parents didn't have to look too far to find inspiration for a name when he was born. I was named Mike like a microphone. Uh, my, my mom had the good sense to say Michael. <laughs> They start at $500 and orders keep coming in for Miltimore's now famous guitar. That eureka moment 10 years ago has turned River Song into one of the most respected brands on the market. It's an amazing journey that, uh, that we're on and I'm really looking forward to what the next chapter has. Jay Durant, Global News. And if you know someone who has a great story to tell or something unique to BC, don't forget to email your ideas to Jay. You can reach him at thisisbc at globalnews.ca. Sounded so good. I could listen to that all night. Uh, but instead, let's listen to the last few words about weather here from Christy. Sure. So some nice breaks, as you can see behind me here, and that will be the case as we head through the next 12 to 24 hours. But we still do have a chance of showers and a risk of thunderstorms. So watch out, watch out for that. Looks like it. OK, thanks very much, Christy. And thanks, everyone, for watching. Good night, all.